also a tin teardrop. But I'm doing well, well. I run on laser beams. <laughs> Star Hello and welcome to Track by Track presents Trout Mask Replica. Uh, my name is Joel Bacher, guest hosting for Darren Husted. As we go track by track through Captain Beefheart and his Magic Band's epical 1969 double album, Trout Mask Replica. Today we are discussing Hair Pie Bake 2, which is track 14 of the album. Uh, track 1, side 3, if you're listening to it on vinyl. Uh, this was recorded at Whitney Studios in Glendale, California in March of 1969. It was produced by Frank Zappa. Uh, the personnel on this track are Bill Harkelrode, a.k.a. Zoothorn Rollo on guitar, Jeff Cotton, a.k.a. Antenna Jimmy Siemens on guitar, Mark Boston, a.k.a. Rocket Morton on bass, John French, a.k.a. Drumbo on the drums, and Don Van Fleet shaking the sleigh bells at the end. This is an instrumental track, so there is no uh, contribution from Van Fleet on vocals or on saxophone on this track. Uh, according to John French's book, it is, however, him shaking the sleigh bells at the end. So credit where credit is due. Uh, the length of the track is two minutes and 23 seconds. Uh, and my guest today is Ben Waters. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm fine, Joel. Great to be here. It is a great pleasure to talk to you. Great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for being on the show. Pleasure, Mike. So um, I, I was introduced to Ben uh, via email. Um, ben was introduced to me as a person who has uh, worked with former Magic Band members. He is a, a musician who has uh, done uh, Beefheart covers, has done an album-length cover of the Spotlight Kid called Messing with the Kid. Um, so uh, clearly, uh, I believe you said you'd seen um, Beefheart and the Magic Band live six times. Um, so clearly, this music has been a pretty big part of your life. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen... Uh... I've seen Beefheart and the Magic Band six times, but I've also seen them the reformed Magic Band about eight times. So Wow. The first the first time was nineteen seventy two and that was absolutely fantastic concert. Uh that was a Spotlight Kid tour in the UK here. And uh he was on I think he was on top of his form at that time, you know. He he was so he had that audience in the palm of his hand. You know, it's that was a really phenomenal incarnation of the yeah. uh, of the Magic Band too. That was Absolutely. with um, Elliot Elliot Ingber on guitar, if I if I yes. remember yep. correctly, and yep. uh, Bill Harkel Road, and then Art Art Trip was on percussion. Art Trip, yeah, and um, they had Roy Estrada on bass as well as Rocket Morton. Rocket Morton oh, right. switched between bass and guitar, and Roy Estrada played the bass when Rocket Morton wasn't, kind of thing. But yeah, that was, that was the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely incredible, yeah. Uh, first one was the best, in my opinion. First time I saw him was the best time. It, that's that. That would be a hard concert to beat, I have to say. I've seen Absolutely. some clips on of like German television clips. I think of that yeah, incarnation of the band, and they they really true. are forced to contend with. Well, the thing is, it, it, it the music didn't start for about ten minutes because first you had a ballet dancer come on and dancing around, then a belly dancer, right. Uh, then he came out by himself, and the whole place erupted. And he just he just stood there and waited for all the clapping to die down. And he said, "Meditation soothes the mind and body." Then he walked off. 
<laughs> and then we got Rocket Morton come out to do the the, the hair pie solo, bass solo, you know. Uh, absolutely dancing around the stage, playing the, the, the bass to hair pie. And it was only after that that the rest of the band came out. And it was, uh, you know, sorry, he, he sort of captured everyone's uh, attention straight away, you know. That sounds like he's, that was a show. That was not it simply was a concert. Like he's, he's got like a, three ring con- three ring circus going on exactly yeah it was it was a proper theatrical event you know <laughs> how did i first find out about beef um yeah how did you first encounter this music and what what were you listening to prior just out of curiosity what was your what was your background I'm, i was a big rolling stones fan right i thought i was i thought i was cool i loved the stones i loved uh johnny winter canned heat sort of uh bluesy rocky kind of stuff uh Edgar Broughton, who's a UK band and not very well known probably over there, but he was a big influence on me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think I must have heard him on the John Peel show. I can't actually remember, but for some reason I went to buy Strictly Personal and I absolutely loved it straight away. You know, it, it blew my mind because it's an incredible album. It's one, I think it's probably my favorite. If, if I had to choose one album and I'd throw away the rest, I would keep Strictly Personal, you know. Uh, and then I went back and brought Saper's Milk, and I thought, well, this is great, this is good, but it's quite normal, you know, compared to what Strictly Personal was like. And then when Trout mm-hmm. came out, well, it was, it was after Trout, it was about a year after Trout came out, I actually discovered it, and I thought, um, well, it's a double album, you know, it's a lot of money. And I, I used to go down to the record shop in Brighton, which is about 20 miles away from where I lived, most weekends, and I would listen to a side. And I, I, I got into some of the tracks. I got into things like um, Moonlight in Vermont, Sugar and Spikes, uh, mm-hmm. China Pig, and the acapella stuff. I got that straight away. But the rest of the stuff, I thought, well, this is a bit, just sounds like a, a, a mad jumble, you know. And it wasn't uh, wasn't until I'd been there about three or four times um, to listen to the, a, a different side that it started to grow on me and I bought it, you know. And if I go on to why I've chosen Hair Pie, because uh, Hair Pie Bake 2, because when I was, when I played that, and I, I listened to it, it, it suddenly clicked. I suddenly realized that all these parts actually fitted together in a really incredible way. Much, you know, uh, that, the, the two guitar parts complement each other, and there's interplay going on there, and although it's not what you'd normally get in normal music. It's not just like a load of random noise or a load of random different parts. It's actually constructed to fit together like that, you know, and that just blew my mind. And uh, that was the kind of key that unlocked the rest of the album to, to me. That's very cool. It's it's interesting to hear which tracks are the ones yeah. that people that people glommed onto and that where it suddenly started to, to make a little more sense. Um, was, Moonlight on Vermont does seem like a track that a lot of people have were initially like it's it's yeah. slightly more accessible than some of the other pieces on the album. It was probably because on Hair Pie Bake 2, there's, as you said, there's no beef ups not actually on it. There's no vocals. There's no sax. So you can actually hear how the music's gelling together, you know, how the bass and the two guitars are interplaying. It's so intricately, you know. But in such an unusual way, such yeah, a that strange is, it, way, you know. Yeah, 
it, it is fascinating to hear. I mean, um, many years after I first got the album and heard it, I heard the, um, the instrumental rehearsal tracks of the bands yeah. performing the stuff without, without vocals from the recorded at the, the trout house in Woodland Hills. And yeah. even then having heard the album a billion times, um, possibly a slight exaggeration, but close to a billion yeah. times. Um, it, it's, it's eye opening to hear it without the 600 pound gorilla of his voice and his saxophone over it. You can, you really can hear the amount of effort that the band is putting into making these utterly unique compositions work and exactly, yeah. and fit together. I, There's something about, I know the tracks you mean, they're on that Grow Things box set. And uh, yep. you, you can program that to, to follow the sequence of the album if you want, you know. So I did that once and I tried singing along to it like karaoke, you know. And it's mm -hmm. impossible to sing those words. <laughs> and that, and that, uh, to that music without laughing your head off. You know, it absolutely, it cracked me up. I just couldn't stop laughing because it's, it's just so audacious, you know, the way, he's, the way he fits those, you know, those poems or lyrics into that it, music. It, it really is. My yeah. my friend David, who's uh, guested on a couple of episodes of this, this podcast, always marvels at his ability to... It, it, the first thing he heard, because he had never heard the album before when I when I asked him to guest, oh, right. and so I loaned it to him. And the first thing he said to me is, "How is he able to sing over that?" Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. the the ability to 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 pick up and touch down at at the right yeah. at the right moments when evidently he was mostly just listening to it through the leakage that was coming from the recording booth. Yeah, uh, is, is a pretty point. remarkable performance. Yes, exactly. That's another point, Joel. Um, you know, it's been said that he'd never used headphones. And I, you know, I believe that. But he knew what he was doing. He wasn't just randomly. Well, on some tracks, perhaps he was, like Neon Meat Dream or um, uh, Old Fart I'd Play. He was just kind of reciting. But on a lot of the tracks, he, mm -hmm. he knew where he had to come in and where he not, you know, and he knew where the music was going to change and where it wasn't, you know. And to, to do that without actually hearing the music that loudly... <laughs> Was, it, it proves to me that he he, uh, he he was conscious of how it should all fit together, you know. Yeah, exactly. the the um, The narrative of him as being simply kind of a savant is is yeah. not entirely correct in that respect because he he really did. I mean, you listen to like when Big Jones sets up uh, the way his voice fits in with the music and you know picks up and and touches down in the bits where the band kind of drops out. Um, yeah. is, you know, rhythmically seems very precise, especially considering that he's, you know, um, possibly just hearing, feeling the vibration of the music from the, from the recording room. Although one yeah. thing that's never really mentioned is I'm sure he heard the band rehearsing these songs a billion yeah. times. They always said that he didn't participate in rehearsal, but they all lived in the same house. Yeah. He had to have hear them playing that music over and over again. The other thing about the, him playing it on the piano, John French and the group taking it away to polish it off yes i'm sure they did do that and i'm sure that they worked out you know this is got to be an a that's got to be a b this is got to be three four that's got to be five eight or whatever but the actual parts he meant them parts to go together that way you know he, especially if something like hair pie mm -hmm. you, you, there's no way he, he couldn't have taken a part from say ella guru and put it into hair pie it wouldn't be wouldn't have worked so that he was right writing or composing on the piano parts that were meant to go together 
Mm-hmm. It wasn't just bashing away, you know. I don't think. Yeah, it was. It, it's. Um, I'm trying to remember where I read it. It might have been an Eric Gudis's all about jazz article that he. I mean, he was coming from it from the perspective of an untrained composer, like he couldn't read or write music. But at mm-hmm. the same time, this music is all of a piece. Like he mm-hmm. is. Um, he was going, he was kind of finding it out by feel and finding out this part feels like it goes with this part and this part feels like it goes with that part. And it may, you know, break every rule of established compositional method and, and tonality and what have you. But, um, I don't have any doubt in my mind that he knew exactly what he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. So the guitar parts on this are an excellent example of that because the, when the song kicks off and I am not enough of a musician to, to be able to pick out what different time signatures they're playing in but uh right channel guitar which is i actually wrote uh, according to john french it on every track it is uh bill harcourt in the left channel jeff cotton in the right channel okay so uh, that you can actually break down the parts that way which is interesting i didn't realize that uh, until recently but um it sounds to me like left channel guitar is playing in a different time signature than right channel guitar but they are they're doing it so that the so that the one and the last beat are hitting at about the same same point. So it's this polyrhythmic yeah. part. I know you've done some work covering uh, Beefheart. You did an entire album of Spotlight Kid covers, and you mentioned you've also played in bands doing Beefheart covers. How do you approach that music like how do you approach playing that well the spotlight kid stuff's a lot easier of course you know to get to the bottom of and and i didn't right as you i don't know if you've heard them yet i know i sent them to you but i didn't uh try and do them as they were on the album i just tried to reinterpret them rather than copy them you know but when we did um when we were in the band we did stuff from pretty much throughout his career i I think the only thing we did from trout was china pig so that was a bit of a cheat but we did complicated things like uh Making Love to a Vampire. We did uh, Ice Rose, um, things like that. You Challenging just, tracks. You, you just have to. Uh, and also, I also did, um, what's it called? Uh, Carrot is as close as a rabbit. I did that on the guitar. And uh, you have to just do it a section at a time and just learn it. Learn like two or three bars. And then once you've got that, you learn the next two or three bars, you know. I'm not sure I got it exactly right, but but that's the way to do it. Just go piece by piece through through the song, you know, and uh, get one bit under your fingers and in, in your head straight, and then move on to the next bit, and then you've got to sew it all together once you've done all that, you know. That's what we. That's, that's kind of how we approached it, which I think is probably not dissimilar to how they initially arranged the music from well, what from what French says that they had all these individual bits and they just work on them and until yeah. they could could push them together into these completed compositions probably the similar sort of thing yeah so i, I really liked what you did with the spotlight kid oh, tracks I, i've i've talked to a couple of people on here about when covering or or doing any version of of something as incredibly distinctive as as van vliet's music and yeah this i mean the spotlight kid material is a bit a bit simpler and more accessible than than trout mask replica but it's still so utterly idiosyncratic well yes that it, it seems like the two the two approaches i've seen are either really reinterpret the music and make it something that's personal 
a personal interpretation of it or copy it as close as you possibly can. Yeah. And I tend to find the first version, the first approach much more interesting than someone yeah. simply doing a, I mean, there's technical skill involved, obviously, in doing a, a technic, a exact cover of one of those songs. But, you know, I can listen to the original. I, I, I think it's a lot more interesting to to approach it from your own perspective and try to make it try to make it your own what what was yeah. it that brought you to um to the spotlight kid well to do to try that it, what happened with that was it just occurred to me one day because people people often say about the spotlight kid it was kind of a return to his blues kind of side which it is in a way you know mm-hmm. and i thought to myself it's not really blues is it you know i can see what people mean but what if it actually was blues thought to myself what if these songs were really in an in an alternate universe what if they were really uh old blues songs done by the guys in the 20s and 30s on an acoustic guitar that don had taken and, and uh rocked rocked up if you like you know and mm-hmm. what, what 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 would they have sounded like if they were really old blues songs you know so i, I tried to interpret them and i took quite a lot of liberty with some of them uh to just make them sound like an old blues song on one one guitar, you know. Uh, that was my sort of premise for that whole, doing that whole album, you know. So an alternative history where, you know, yeah. Blind Lemon Jefferson had yeah. written White Jam or something like exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. Uh, that's exactly what I'm getting at, yeah. That's exactly what I was trying to get to. Well, that really comes through. And that's a fantastic interpretation of those of those songs. Oh, thank you, yeah. Well, I'd, as I say, I, I did it fairly quickly, and I could have done it a lot better if I'd taken a bit more time over it. But I'm quite happy with the, you know, the idea of it anyway. You know, and I'm a blues blues musician at the moment, and I play. Uh, well, not at the moment. I don't play gigs, but I've, I have been the last ten yeah, years. No one's playing gigs right now. No, the last ten years I've been solo acoustic guitar, and I do I do put in some of those songs from the Spotlight Kid in my set, you know, and also uh, also to cover. Um, I feel like I said, you know, from Strictly Personal, I'll do my own version of that as well. So I'm trying to spread the word, nice. even if it's not quite exactly what people actually did, you know. You're proselytizing yeah, for, I, I always, for Beefheart. I always try and lay a bit of Beefheart on people, you know. What I've read in a couple of of um, places, and I'd, I'd kind of like your opinion on this, is that uh, Beefheart and the Magic Band were always a little bigger in England than they got in the United States. That well, there was a yeah. little more of a, a fan base there than there than there was here, at least in the post Trout Mask years. Most likely down to John Peel because he was such a big fan, mm-hmm. and he played a lot of every time a new B Fight album came out, he would play it. You know, play the whole side, play a side one night and another side the next night, and he'd from from sort of a Trout Mask onwards, he was a champion of B Fight on the radio, and and he was very very popular DJ. I mean, all the Anyone that was into music that wasn't, you know, top 20 chart music, listened to John Peel. And he influenced a lot of people. Uh, he, he introduced a lot of acts that people would not have otherwise heard of. And I think that built up, you know, uh, a, a sort of fan base for Beefheart in the UK. And yes, his albums did chart over here, not not top of the charts or anything but they did get in whereas in the states i don't think they even got in the charts you know 
and his concerts when he came over because everyone was everyone was um sorry anticipating what's you know beef arts coming over you know i've got to go you know and so there, there was a big kind of uh buzz um, not you know amongst the, amongst those who knew you know <laughs> not i mean Either you know right. you know what beef art's about or you don't. But if you if you've got into beef art, then you're going to be pumped up if he's coming over from from America to play a show, you know, and you're going to be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to think if there's any figure in American radio history who would be analogous to John Peel. I don't think we have anyone over here who, well, for starters, you have fewer radio stations, so there was right. you know a, a something of a limit on on. Um, what people could be listening to, but I can't think of any large scale and I'm, I will probably be corrected on this on the internet. And if you know of someone, please tell me because I'd love to listen to their show, but well, uh, a, someone who has like a large scale following. I can't sorry, think of ahead. anyone these days, but people like Wolfman Jack back in the early sixties. Uh, oh, sure. Possibly, you know, you know, Wolfman Jack, he was a beef art fan as well. You know. Uh, yeah. He broke uh diddy what diddy. The, oh, the right. first okay. yeah. single that he was he was pushing it on the on West Coast radio stations. So in the at some point or another, you ended up playing actually playing with Mark Boston, aka Absolutely. Rocket Martin, yeah. and I'd, yeah. I'd love to hear how that came about. Okay, well it's it's a bit of a long story. I'll try and shorten it as much as I can, but I've got to give you the whole picture. Um, hey, lo- long rambling stories are why podcasts were invented. So go for you it. You could always edit it down if you, if need be, but um. Yeah, the reformed Magic Band in 2003 came to, well, they, they, they came over in 2002 and I saw them then, but they came over in 2003 and they did a gig at the uh, Queen Elizabeth Hall in London. And I was there with, with my band and about seven or eight other ma- mates, so it was a whole, whole row of us, you know. Um, mm-hmm. the, the support band were the fall and after they'd finished, I just went out into the lobby just to get a bit of fresh air, just to sort of psych myself up from the magic band, you know. And I was just standing there in the lobby, minding my own business, mm-hmm. and a guy comes up to me. I didn't know, didn't recognize him. He came up to me and he said, are you Ben Wars? I said, yeah. He said, do you want a backstage pass? I said, yeah, okay. Then. He said, right, take mine because I won't be able to use it. Wow. <laughs> it turns out that was Mike Barnes. It was, that was the first time I'd met Mike Barnes. And um, Oh, okay. We, we didn't know each other. Well, we knew each other through the internet, you know, but he'd, he'd recognized me somehow, you know, mm-hmm. and then he, he, he had to leave. So he gave me his backstage pass and I went back into the hall. And all my mates are sitting. I said, someone's just giving me this backstage pass. Well, I've got to use it, haven't I? You know, and I tried to get at the end of the show, I tried to get my band in on the strength of the pass. Right. But the security guy was having none of mm-hmm. it. He said, no, one, one pass, one person. So I arranged, I arranged to meet my band and my friends in the pub. You know, they said they said we'll be in this pub. It's open all night. We'll, we'll go there. Just come there when you when you're done. Okay. So I went in, and there was the magic band, and there was um, quite a load of people, quite a load of lot of people, uh, music business types. There was radio people, magazine people, you know, promoters. There's a few fans, but most of them were sort of business people and I got to speak to all the magic bands you know they were walking around just conversating with everybody and um, got to speak mm-hmm. to them all but speaking to Rocket we clicked we clicked you know we hit it off and um, 
the longest and friendliest conversations were with him. And I was, we'd, um, I'd talk to him for a few minutes and then someone else would come up and want to talk to him. So I'd, you know, get it, move out of the way. But we kept coming back together. Every time we, every time there was a little, every time there was a chance and him and me were both free, we'd come back together and keep, keep continuing our conversation. And I was telling him about the band and how, how, how a big, because I was a bass player then, right? I was telling him how much an influence okay. it was on me and how, how much how inspired I was by him and about the band and all that. And he was like, okay. And uh, eventually the magic band left and left the room after about an hour. And there was just a few people left by then, just finishing off the drink, you know, the free drink. And I thought to myself, well, mm-hmm. I've met my hero. I've had a big, long conversation with him. My life is complete, you know. <laughs> so I got ready to leave, and I was just just making my way towards the door. And Rocket Morton comes back in the room, and he looks around, and he sees me. And he comes over, and he, he comes over to me, and he says, "Hey Ben, I've been thinking. Next time we come over, why don't we get together and make some music? <laughs> just like that, right? Nice. I, I couldn't believe it, so I said, yeah, "Do you really mean it? You know, what do you really?" Well, I wouldn't have said it if I didn't mean it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, great! Brother. So, um, we agreed to we swapped email addresses and we agreed to keep in touch for the following year and uh, organise something where we could do do a jam. You know. So I left. So that was that, and I left. I left the place and I made my way to the pub where all my uh, my band was and all my friends. They were all drunk. They were all drunk, right? I walked in there, and they said, um, "Hey Ben, how'd it go?" And I said, "Oh, it was great. Did you did you speak to him?" I said, "Yeah, I spoke to him all." And I said, "Guess what?" They said, "What?" Rocket Morton wants to jam with us. <laughs> they didn't believe me. They thought I was kidding. They all they all fell about laughing, you know. Pull the other one, you know. Oh, that's said, no, great. It's, it's true. It's true. You know, they still wouldn't believe me, you know. But over the following year, we did keep in touch. And when they came on the next tour, 2004, uh, I saw them in Manchester and Rocket had put me on the guest list. So I got to go backstage with them then and we finalised the details and it, it just turned out by luck, you know, by fate, that the, the girl that he was staying with after the tour, he was going to do the tour and then stay a couple of weeks with this girl that he, he knew in England. She lived mm-hmm. in Sussex, which is where most of the band lived. I mean, I, I'd lived in Yorkshire, but most of them lived down in Sussex, and she lived in Sussex as well. So it's only he wasn't far away. So we, we found a studio in Sussex, booked it for the day, and we all turned up there. You know, the band, and they still weren't sure mm-hmm. that I was. They thought I was. They were still doubtful whether I was kidding them or not. You know. I said, no, it's true, he's coming, you know. And we got there at nine, and he was he was supposed to get there at ten. And it got to about ten past ten, and they were all going, he's not coming, you know. Nice one, Ben, you know. And I said, no, he's coming. <laughs> and uh, I walked up to the road. We uh, got him on the phone, you know, and I said, you know, where are you coming? You know, where are you? And he said, oh, yeah, we're on our way. We're nearly there. Just as he said that, the car, I saw him drive up in his car with his girl, you know, drove down to the studio, down the little track. And it wasn't until he actually got out of the car 
<laughs> that my band really believed it was real, you know. Anyway, we um, got him hooked, set up in the studio, got us all set up, and we just jammed for most of the day from about half past ten till about four, just making a, just improvising, you know, just a, it's just a jam, you know. And um, that sounds like so much fun. It was, it was, he was such a nice guy. He was so friendly, so humble, gracious. He, he, he brought with him a load of tour posters and he also signed them all, gave, you know, probably about 50 tour posters he brought with him, signed them all, gave gave us all 10 each, you know, or whatever, um, signed all their shirts, posed for photographs with us afterwards, you know, and he went about four and we stayed in the studio doing the mixing down, you know, for another two or three hours. And but as he was, when he was going, we, we said, well, look, you know, we're so grateful. Thanks so much for coming and we hope you had a good time. We, we really feel so honored to have you come and play with us. And he says, no, the honor is all mine, man. You know, really gracious, really humble guy, wow. you know, absolutely. Yeah. And when it, that's, that's just about it. But the time I saw him in Manchester, you know, when we, as I mentioned before, he put me on the guest list. I went backstage and um, I had a little chat with the rest of the band and uh, working out with Rocket about the details about the jam in the studio. And then they, they had to go back mm-hmm. on the stage to dismantle all their equipment, pack it all away. You know, they had to do that themselves. Uh, they started doing that and I said, well, look, I can see you're busy. I can see you've got a lot of work to do. I'll let you get on with it. I'll, I'll see you, you know, I'll see you down at the studio later in the year. And he said, no, no, stay with us, man. We don't get to see you that often, you know. So I stayed there right till they drove off, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's such a nice guy. You know? Yeah, that's, yeah. he that's, seems, uh, I was just listening, I'm sorry. No, that, that is, I was going to say, that is it. That's my Rocket Morton story, you know. What a fantastic experience. He sounds like such a such a sweet and affable yeah, guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, he is. He's, he's sweet, affable, easygoing, genial. You know, he's, he's such a genial guy. I, yeah, I know John French said something in his book about how about how um, Mark kind of took the uh, the psychological torment that they occasionally had to undergo from Van Vliet. He, he always took it in stride more than anybody else. Yeah. He just seemed like things yeah. rolled off of him. Yeah. Uh, so it was just like a dream come true, Joel. It was, you know, it was something you dream about and it was actually happening. You know? and, um, I think you're right. I think because. Um, I know what John said. I've read what John said about Beef Heart, and I've read what Bill Harkelode has said, and I've heard uh, Ed Marimba say similar things. And I asked Rocket, you know, and he would he would say, and he said this. I've heard him say this on um, documentaries and things. He, he said uh, Don was a genius, and he really admired him, but he made it a lot more difficult than it needed to be. But that was about as deep as his criticism went, you know. <laughs> yeah, he seems he seems stoic about the yes. the entire experience. I I, word, yeah, I have stoic, to ask yeah. just from a, a from a bass nerd perspective because uh-huh. I I play the bass a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. When he's jamming, does he still do the kind of uh, claw hammer bass style that he developed well, for the trap mass stuff with the thumb and finger picks, or does he play well, in a more traditional style? Well, I can't tell you that because um when when we had the jam, he played the guitar. He plays slide. Oh, okay. He plays slide guitar and standard tuning guitar. You have a Telecaster, and I was playing the bass. You know, uh, 
yeah, so I don't know. He, I didn't see him play the bass. I just saw him. He just played guitar with us, you know. That is such a great story. Is that is that music just part of your the personal collection of your band, or is that something that's available somewhere? Well, I've got it on CD. Uh, I think I've got the MP3 file somewhere. I could happily send it to you, but I will say it just sounds like six guys having a jam. You know, it's nothing nothing amazing. It's just nothing wrong with that. It's, it's fun. You know, we had a, we had a great time. We had a lot of fun, but it's just it's just jammy. You know, six guys get together and we don't, because we didn't want to do any, well, we did one song actually, which was one from our band repertoire, but the rest of the stuff, because that was, a, we thought that was quite an easy one for Rocket to get the grips to grips with. The rest of the stuff, we just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, we, we start a riff and just jam on it, you know, and, and till it petered out, you know. So we, we did about, I think we did six tracks, five or six tracks, quite long, about seven or eight minutes long tracks. Well, I would certainly love to hear it. I I can't speak for for you, but I'm so starved for live music at this point that I will happily listen to Six Guys Jam with no <laughs> no direction and, and yeah, you know I I, I find myself uh, look, looking at live performance footage of different bands like wistfully like oh I remember yeah. those days when you could actually go into a crappy bar and drink some crappy beer and listen to a great band. Um. I, and just one of the, I'm still reeling from the idea of a double bill of the fall and the magic band. Yeah. Um, was how were, how were the fall as an opener? Well, I just have to ask. I, I wasn't impressed personally. I, I've never, I've, I've never really got the fall to be, to tell you the truth. I've never got what they're about. And to me, it just sounded very sludgy. It's very sludgy. And, uh, mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, they just, they'd hit, they, they stick on a riff and they just play it, and Mark would sort of do his, you know, vocals over the top, and you'd, go, you'd walk around and turn people's amps up and down and things, and so the sound was changing all the time. Uh, I've never really, I've never really uh, been a fan, you know, and I, and I didn't wasn't a fan after I'd seen them live. But what I will say about them is, um, I read his book, Mark Mark uh, Mark E. Smith's autobiography or whatever it was. Um, renegade it's called and i thought that was hilarious i really liked the book you know he writes really well and there was a lot of funny stuff in there and i got i got the book but i don't quite get the music you know i have to keep trying a bit i'll harder. have to i have to check out the book sometime yeah renegade. well i mean it's i renegade i i saw the fall twice um the first time i saw them they came out i think two hours after they were actually supposed to take yeah. the stage um, and then proceeded to play a brilliant but insanely long set. I think they played for like two and a half hours or something. So it was right. it was close to three in the morning when I actually got out of the show. Um, and then the second time I saw them, uh, they came on right on time, played an uninspired thirty minute set, and walked off. Yeah, I guess. I so guess everyone. I go on, Joe. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say. I, I guess they're the kind of band that can have a good night or a bad night, you know, and you've got to get them on the right night, you know? Yeah. Everyone I know of who, who had seen them live had said they, they are, they were a very, um, variable quantity when you saw them live, you never knew which version of the fall you were going to get, yeah. but well, thank you so much for coming on the show and, um, speaking with me about, uh, hair pie and about the, the influence of, of Captain Beefheart and Rocket Morton and this, 
uh, fantastic music. Um, you mentioned that you are uh, you're playing the blues. You're not you're not yeah. able to play out live at the moment, unfortunately. But uh, do you have a place where people can hear the music that you're making? Well, I've got a YouTube channel, a Facebook page, and it's called, it's under the name of Ben Blue Waters. Look up Ben Blue Ben Waters. Blue Waters. Ben Blue Waters. You look it up on YouTube or Facebook, and you can hear my music from there. It's old blues. I, I like, it's, it's Muddy Waters, Howling Wolf, John Lee Hooker, Sunhouse, Robert Johnson. The good stuff. It's all that, yeah, the deep, the real stuff, you know, the deep, intense stuff. And slide, a lot of slide. <laughs> and I go, you know, I go around playing locally and do that. You know. I can't wait to listen to it. Um, so the uh, on the normal show, um, Darren rates every song. I've said on every episode thus far that there's not a song on this album. I'm not going to rate five out of five just because I don't feel like you can compare the music on Trout Mask Replica to anything else. It's it's so completely of a, of a piece of itself that, that yeah. everything is five out of five just out of its sheer uniqueness. Um, but would you like the opportunity to rate? Do you want to rate this song out of out of five? Well, I'll give it a five, definitely. You know, but what I would say about one more, one last thing, then Joel, because I know we've gone on for nearly forty minutes. I'm sure you're going to have to edit this down a bit. But um, Trout was the first of its kind, you know, and I, I always compare it to like a, a an octopus, and it, it broke through the ice, and it's got all these tentacles, and it's writhing and writhing around, you know, and then. It was, if you study it, you can eventually figure it out or figure most of it out. But things like when he went on to do decals, it's, it hasn't got so many tentacles. It's not such a big, you know, sliding beast. It's, but it's it's more concise, focused, and streamlined, you know. But it, it, I, there's still mm-hmm. things on decals that I just can't figure out, you know. Bits of decals that, that just defy define my brain you know i still i love it i love it to bits you know. but if it wasn't for trout we wouldn't have had decals you know so. that's such a fantastic comparison i one thing that's come up a lot in the different episodes of this that i've done is how how natural and organic this music feels despite its or perhaps because of its complexity and uniqueness that the when yeah. you know on on hair pie when one bit transitions to the next bit it doesn't feel jarring and abrupt it feels like this natural yeah. movement but a natural movement that's that still feels kind of alien to standard yeah. music composition, yeah. and so I, I love the the image of an octopus. That's <laughs> that's or an octofish, I suppose. Yes, that's, yes. That's a, such a perfect image for this album. Um, so if people want to follow track by track on Twitter, it is at underscore track by track. Uh, if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, it's the same. It's at Joel A. Bakker. That's B A K K E R. Uh, ben, do you have any, uh, I know you have your YouTube, the Ben Blue Waters. Um, do you have yep. any uh, socials that you want to promote as well? Yeah, Facebook, uh, Ben Blue Waters and Reverb Nation, if anyone still knows what that site is. It's a music site for musicians. I'm on that as well, Reverb Nation, Ben Blue Waters. Great. Thank you so much for your time and thank you audience for listening.